0: Diving into everything there is to know about renewable hydrogen, this is Purple is the New Green, a Nell Hydrogen podcast, co-hosted together with H2View. Join us as we talk about hydrogen, the energy carrier of the future, already available today.
1: Welcome to another episode of Purple is the New Green. I'm Lila asdell and with me today, of course, is my co-host, Rob Cockrell. Hey, everyone. Today, we're going to be chatting with Bjorn Siemenson, former VP head of investor relations and corporate communication in Nell and newly minted CEO of Saga Pure.
0: You know, Lila, this strikes me as an opportunity.
1: Okay, you've got my attention.
0: I mean, he used to be your boss, right? Right. Well now that he's no longer your boss, you could really stick it to him.
1: (laughs) I like the way you think you vindictive person you. And I mean, he kind of abandoned me, so it'd probably be fair game.
0: But... But... What? We're all friends
1: here? Exactly. He so qualifies as a friend of the hydrogen industry, so maybe we'll just razz him a bit.
0: Okay, good plan. So on that note, any hot tips I can use to catch him off guard?
1: Hmm, not off the top of my head. He's pretty well versed in the world of hydrogen, so it'll be tough to really throw him for a loop there. Ah, you could refer to him as Professor though. Professor? (laughs) Yeah, it's a running joke between him and a few others in the industry. Don't tell him I told you though.
0: My lips are sealed. All right, Professor noted. And how about the purple situation? You ready to take your color back or am I still out branding you at your own
1: game? Oh, my purple game is strong today. I'm rocking a purple suit jacket. Beat that.
0: Just the jacket? You couldn't be bothered with the full suit?
1: Well, it didn't come as a full suit. Just the blazer.
0: Ah, So it's a blazer now.
1: Are you wordsmithing me? It's purple. A lot of purple. All
0: right, all right. Purple suit jacket, blazer thing. I mean, I'm the wordsmith, but you're the brand winner today. Well, thank you and i suppose we should probably talk about hydrogen though shouldn't we
1: purple is hydrogen rob it's the color of hydrogen so i've heard but you're right we should talk about the hydrogen industry what's the latest from h 2 View? you
0: well since our last episode with jesper i've actually been spending a bit of time working across two key projects firstly i am no professor but i've taken on a climate champion role with the hydrogen council something i'm mega proud to be sporting over the next year
1: wow congratulations now I'm familiar with it, as we have a few climate champions in now as well, but in case any of our listeners aren't familiar with the campaign, perhaps you could explain what it is exactly and if it's something h 2 v is supporting.
0: Sure, absolutely. It's basically a new public awareness campaign from the Hydrogen Council, pulling the clean energy transition into sharp focus for each and every one of us as individuals and striving to drive collective change around the world. We're fully behind it at View, and for me personally I'm really honored to have been asked to be a stakeholder. So I've been looking at what we can do and how to continue that journey in public perception and communication in 2021.
1: Awesome and it ties into what we were talking about with Everett regarding the need for more and better communication around hydrogen.
0: Yes exactly.
1: What was the other project over the last week? Can you tell us?
0: Sure, it's actually another means of communication, and that is conferences, or at least virtual events anyway. I think there's a lot of hope around getting a sense of normality back next year and travel and events, of course, particularly with all the news of COVID vaccines in recent weeks. We also need a degree of reality. We're probably not going to get back to that for quite a while yet. So we're gearing up for our H2View Hydrogen Summit, which takes place in March. And I've been spending some time pulling together all of the content and the speakers for that event. There's plenty to talk about and we don't want to disappoint the hydrogen community and enthusiasts out there.
1: Well, we know that's something H2View will not do. I'd say you've become the go-to source for hydrogen news. And on that note, let's invite our very own enthusiast today to join us. Björn, welcome to Purple is the New Green. Thanks, guys. So you have the honour of being the one and only non-Nell employee in this first series of (laughs) Purple is the New Green and as such i can pose a question to you that none of the others have been asked all right hit me how's life at saga pure
2: <laughs> it's uh in some ways uh very much like uh, Nell. it's it's busy it's it's full of hydrogen and and of course a lot of other stuff uh but i get to be the boss
1: you were the boss before pretty you the much boss before? pretty much i
2: have i have i have <laughs> pretty much uh uh but now i get to be the boss of the company, but I do have some, some board members that, uh, that have strong opinions. So, so obviously I, I need to listen to those also, but uh, uh, still a big excitement uh, about hydrogen, of course. But what, uh, what is really interesting now is that I get to look at the hydrogen industry from a bird's eye uh, perspective, and indeed the entire renewable industry. So hopefully I can be of use to uh, uh, making uh, the environment better uh, also in, in my new role. So let's let's see how it goes, but I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic.
1: So for anyone who is not aware, what is Saga Pure all about?
2: So Saga Pure is an investment company. Uh, and the interesting thing is that Saga Pure used to have the name Saga Tankers. So, so it has actually transitioned from being focused investments in the fossil uh, uh, area to renewables. So it's actually a 180 degree uh, turnaround, which is kind of illustrative of uh, both where we need to go, but also uh, of where the world indeed is going now. So, so I'm really, really excited to to have uh, have the opportunity to to be in a company and. and to uh, try to pick the winners down the road that will lead the energy transition going forward, definitely on hydrogen, but also on a, on a much broader perspective.
0: So you now have this bird's eye view, but Professor, I hear you might know a thing or two about hydrogen.
2: <laughs> I do. And uh, maybe we should get that professor thing out of the way. I think that would be really
0: good to explain that.
2: Yeah, there's not that many that know that story. And, and to clear it up, you know, I'm, I'm not really a professor you know, I'm sure that comes as a big disappointment, uh, <laughs> but I'll give you the background of that. Uh, it's a little bit of a long story, so, so bear with me. So the investor who hired me back in 2014, who indeed hired me now again for Saga Pure, but he hired me for Nell back in 14. He's a big fan of knowing the numbers behind the technologies. And it's not that easily tricked by all the pretty PowerPoints out there. So he asked me to look into the actual CO2 emissions related to battery production. (laughs) And and that has been a topic of of many, many articles up throughout the years. But, you know, being an engineer myself, I I, I was uh, curious also on that. So I looked into it and uh, I looked into the CO2 emissions related to battery production and then of course also there is co2 emissions related to when you charge uh, the vehicle and the results were quite interesting uh, two or three weeks later after i had sent him this he was holding a presentation in front of an audience of several hundred people and he comes to the slide where we compare the range and 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 fueling time of of a fuel cell electric vehicle with a battery electric vehicle which didn't mention anything about co2 at all but then he Says to the audience, so guys, I've hired a professor uh, called Björn Simonsen and I asked him to look into this. And he actually found that a Toyota Prius can drive for 275 years before the emissions from the Prius catches up with the associated emissions from a Tesla. Well, a lot of people in the audience found this uh, (laughs) interesting and in particular, a a good colleague of mine called Roger Herzenberg. And he found the the facts, uh, the fun facts, both uh, the one with the Prius, and of course, the one with the professor. So interesting that he has called me the professor ever since. So there you have it.
0: What a, what a great story. And, it, and it's just stuck from there on. So, so much so that a, a mischievous little purple birdie may have just mentioned it to me. Exactly. That,
1: that little purple birdie may have heard it on her first or second day at uh, Nell, or at least when I first met Roger.
0: Good. But we're
2: probably going to talk about other stuff than, than professors and, and, and things like that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. On that note, uh, Professor <laughs> Bjorn, we've established you're a, a guru of hydrogen. You kind of hinted to it there, but what got you into the industry? What first sparked your interest?
2: Well, I've always been a big fan of nature and of, uh, of uh, technology. And of course, uh, with hydrogen having the potential of replacing most of the coal, coal oil and natural gas out there, it's basically a no brainer to me. So I decided quite early on, actually, that I wanted to work within hydrogen, even before starting my university studies. So. Going through the studies, I decided that, you know, my master's thesis is going to be focused on this. So I wrote a a thesis on an innovative hydrogen technology, and I was then hired to work at the Research Institute after I finished it. Then I moved on to lead the Hydrogen Association in Norway for a couple of years before joining Nell in 2014, as the company was about to be listed on the Oslo Stock Exchange
1: so you mentioned writing your master's thesis on an innovative hydrogen technology can you tell us anything about that what was it in specific
2: (laughs) i can it wasn't it was not a green hydrogen technology i'm afraid to say Uh, it was actually blue so so this technology it combines hydrogen production and co2 capture in uh, one and the same unit it's a really really cool technology and of course uh, not being in nell any longer <laughs> i can, i can i can talk more positively about it now it, it's it's called SEG power today so they've done the first uh, round of capital uh, races and and uh, it's it's really exciting to see that technology develop so i'm some some I'm, I'm definitely cheering cheering for that team also but but of course nell is 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 and will be closest to my heart
1: that's good to hear cuz you know we're we're kind of fans of Blue hydrogen but you know if we're going to talk colors it's got to be either green or of course purple
2: for sure for sure i mean the 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 business prospects of blue hydrogen in the long term are can challenging uh so so definitely green hydrogen uh will be the big winner down the road but maybe in the phase we are now and and leading up to 2030 well, uh, both Blue and Green are, are welcome, I'd say, to, to help uh, uh, develop the hydrogen industry at the rate that, that we want it to be now.
1: Fair enough. Okay, well, speaking of Nell, as you know, we've chatted with several Nell colleagues already and gotten the lowdown on the three companies coming together to form what is today Nell Hydrogen. But it would be really interesting to get the overarching picture of how it all came together. And while you're no longer officially part of the company anymore, there are probably few better place to tell that story than you. So, Kohl's Notes version, Björn, what is the history of Nell?
2: So the history in Nell is in many ways the, 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 the story of, of how we humans have gradually managed to make use of this element here on Earth. I mean, in, in Norway, we have an expression that uh, um, we refer to something as a potato. That means you can use it for everything. I don't know if that's an expression used internationally. So so I've I've seen the term uh, Swiss army knife element used about hydrogen. So I think that the history of Nell is actually kind of the history of that. And uh, we've been developing, and I say we now actually, uh, in Nell, Nell has been developing hydrogen technologies for almost a century. And I find it really, really fascinating that the start of Nell back in the 20s was actually a start with electrolyzers on several hundred megawatts scale and with abundant renewable energy as the big enabler. And only a handful of these mega plants were built until natural gas took over as a cheaper source of hydrogen. And uh, the interesting thing uh, these days is, is that we see renewable uh, energy and renewable hydrogen is, is coming back again to the picture. Anyway, up until the 70s, Nell was an integrated part of Norsk Hydro, which uh, started as a pure play fertilizer company, today known as Yara. Uh, And after a brief merger of Hydro with Statoil, ended up uh, being owned wholly by Statoil, today known as Equinor, which is Norway's biggest oil and gas company, which recently went into a, a green hydrogen project. High five for that. But in terms of ownership in Nell, it's today only the pension fund that is left with that ownership. Um, but it seems that they are picking up the pace on, on, on green hydrogen as well. So in '14, when I joined the company, uh, Nell was the first hydrogen company to be listed on the Oslo Stock Exchange. And it has then since then grown to become the biggest uh, electrolyzer company globally but also uh, one of the leading uh, hydrogen fueling station manufacturers after the acquisition of 2015. And of course instrumental for becoming the biggest electrolyzer company was the acquisition of Proton Onsite in the U.S. in 17. So that's, that's uh, kind of the brief story of, of now and it's impressive to see uh, the growth uh, of the company since, uh, since those days.
0: Absolutely. I'd agree with that. And uh, I'd also just agree with your potato uh, analogy there. I mean, I love potatoes. I'd, I don't know if it comes with the territory in England. Perhaps, uh, perhaps it does. Uh, moving on. Uh, so uh, Bjorn, how would you say Nell's history parallels with the development of the global hydrogen industry? And perhaps even more interestingly, how does it differ?
2: So the, uh, the, the global hydrogen industry has, has evolved over two axes. First, as an input factor or ingredient in, for example, ammonia fertilizers, and the other one is an energy carrier. And Nell has, since I just mentioned, been involved in the entire development from the early beginnings until today. And Nell has consistently been, in, been a pioneer within the field with many firsts both with regards to the industry, with the several hundred megawatts of electrolyzer capacity installed in Norway for fertilizer production, to the world's first publicly available hydrogen fueling station, which opened in Reykjavik in 2003, and then the world's first power-to-gas project, where 10 households on an island uh, of uh, Utsira, just off the west coast, actually really close to where I grew up, ran solely on wind energy and hydrogen for several years. And we were also the first to offer the PEM electrolyzers to the market back in 1996. So uh, now has, has, you know, continued to build a leadership position through a proud history of continuous technology development, being the first at many of these things, as I mentioned, being the first to adopt a new fueling standards, certifications, as well as the continuous technology innovations, both within electrolysis and fueling. So it doesn't, it's, it's difficult to see where it, where it differs from the hydrogen industry. I, I, I think it very much is, is, a, is a true reflection of, of how that has, has developed over these different two axes.
1: I'd like to pull you back a bit to one of the examples you gave there. Uh, the story of Utsira is an interesting one. And we got a taste of that in the episode with Pietro. But I'd like to take a closer look at it. What became of that project?
2: Well... Uh, it, it, it was a project, so, so like all good projects, it has a, has a start uh, and an end. And it was, it was truly a, a success, technically wise. It worked, and it had technology tourists coming from all over the world. And, and, and Hydro and, and the partners were super proud of this project, they were showing it to everyone. And they got the best demonstration of it also, because One uh, dark autumn night, all of a sudden, the power to this island was cut. And this wasn't just any night. This was in the cup finals. So there there was a a very, very important football game on television. And the only households on the islands who managed to to see through the entire uh, finals uh, was actually the households that were connected to this wind-hydrogen system. So then you could ask, what happened? Why didn't it go further? Uh, It worked. Yes, it did work, but it was crazy expensive. So I kind of just show that, well, you can have technology that's working, but if it's not there in terms of the costs, then it will not be a success. So they were early, maybe a little
0: bit too early. Sorry, Lala, I'm going to steal one of your questions here. That's uh, one of your customary questions for this series. Bjorn, the hydrogen industry has seen a lot of ups and downs. What makes this time, this uptrend, different?
2: So the idea of hydrogen being the ultimate fuel of the future is, is definitely not a new one. I mean, that was proposed 150 years ago by Jules Verne, and, and there are probably others who dreamed about it also. So from from 1875, when when Jules Verne's Mysterious Island came out, I mean, this this was more uh, science uh, fiction than, than than science. But of course, this this prospects of hydrogen as a universal, uh, eternal energy carrier. I mean, that's simply too enticing and attractive to leave it to the realm of fictions. So what happened was that generations of inspired and brilliant individuals uh, basically science the shit out of it, and it it did intake, indeed take several generations for this to happen. And, and like uh, basically all stories of great success, it's a story of continuous trial and error until it one day is reality. And speaking of errors, even though uh, uh, Nell consider themselves, I've had to say now, I, I was almost saying ourselves here, uh, the industry leader, that doesn't mean that Nell doesn't make mistakes. I mean, and the incident which happened at one of the hydrogen stations that Nell delivered in Norway a year and a half ago, really showed uh, what can happen if if, if you screw up. And um, it's obviously important not to make the mistakes in the first place, but even more important to learn from the ones that you make and move forward that was a really really tough learning from now and uh, we we were (laughs) like everyone else quite surprised about it because we design all the technology according to all thinkable safety standards and these are verified by by third party uh, companies both the technology pieces themselves and then the stations when it's put together on site But all of those certificates and and verifications and reports are worth nothing unless you actually put things together in the right way at the site where you put it together. And that's exactly what was the mistake at that uh, site. And obviously that was a hard lesson, but the lesson is learned and uh, being shared with the industry to ensure that an already high safety level is even higher. But in general, it's safe to say that the trend for hydrogen is surely going <laughs> upwards like crazy. Some people would probably say, uh, and uh, I, I must say, it's amazing to see the progress made during only the last few years. And today we're at a point where the technology is ready and the renewable energy is cheap enough to support a massive rollout. And with all the megatrends now in favor of hydrogen, I'm actually convinced that we're right now experiencing the most profound energy transition
0: of all time. I think we couldn't agree more, Um, and I particularly liked your technical term there from uh, a a professor, thanks for that one. Uh, I will just bring you back to Sherbo and an element of seriousness for a moment if we can. You, You mentioned some of the learnings that came from that. Can you give us any further insight into that incident or perhaps how the industry has changed since then
2: the the industry has tightened the bolts uh, better since then (laughs) no uh jokes aside what happened was was basically that we with everything that was designed according to all standards one of the tanks in the high pressure storage the end plug to that tank was not bolted uh, the right way. I mean, everything uh, uh, has a a, a certain torque you need to to, to tighten things to. And there are a a big room for for error even on on that torque. So obviously the job with that specific bolt was for some one reason or another and not done properly. And the station actually functioned uh, perfectly for three years or so and was the most used station in, in Northern Europe, perhaps in Europe, before the incident happened. So sometimes it's difficult to, to see the, the, the um, implications of the errors you make before long after uh, you make them. So it was kind of a, an embarrassing error that uh, one of the guys that 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 put put that uh, system together on site didn't do a, a good job. Uh, on the other hand, it was uh, truly great that there wasn't any fundamental element wrong with the overall system that made us, you know, need, need to go back to the drawing board altogether. So so so, so learnings from that was quite simple. But of course, taking a, a very very detailed look through. Everything around the station to minimize both, of course, the risk of anything happening, but also the consequences, if there is a leak, has made stations safer all together. And we've had several meetings with, with many of the, the industry uh, uh, leaders within uh, uh, this field to discuss how, how to make the, this, this uh, field of hydrogen technology uh, even safer.
1: All right. So since you are no longer on the payroll, we can pretend that you're not at least a little biased and asked, what makes Nell stand apart from other hydrogen companies?
2: <laughs> well, I'd even say this if I was still in Nell, because, you know, and, 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 and uh, what I'd like to say is that there are a lot of great hydrogen companies out there with lots of skilled, brilliant people who are just as much friends as You know, they were competitors. I mean, we're all working uh, towards the same goal here. And the big uh, bad uh, wolf is is the fossil industry. But of course, one of the elements that surely makes Nell stand apart from from all the others is the long history, uh, which which, which is kind of difficult to beat uh, unless you actually invent the time machine. And Nell has done electrolysis on a massive scale already even before people were talking about megawatts or, or, or gigawatts as, as everyone are today. So when I joined NEL in 2014, we had a technology which was close to redundant and, and meaning that this technology was used for massive scale hydrogen production and, and all the industry in, in 2014 uh, were asking for small scale electrolyzers. I mean, that's why you see uh, all the electrolyzer companies out there at that time, uh, and even later, even protonon sites, which we ac- acquired, we're making small scale, micro scale electrolyzers, whereas Nell with the alkaline platform already had a mature, large scale solution for hydrogen production. So that is certainly one of the things that, that makes Nell stand out and, and where Nell has a head start. Nell is also equally strong i'd say in in both alkaline and pem technology it's of course a more costly strategy to have than to just focus everything on on one on one technology betting everything on one horse but it's it's a good technology hedge uh, which enables uh, Nell to uh, stay competitive both for small and large scale platforms irregardless of how and where the technology is moving. And of course, also the freedom to discuss with the customers their needs and and then uh, upon that discussion recommend either a a PEM uh, or an alkaline platform. There's also a great sense of pride among people working in NEL. You know, it's, it's just a week and a half, a week ago since I uh, <laughs> formally left the company. So obviously there's still a bit of that uh, in, in me. And we have, you know, lots of brilliant, enthusiastic uh, people from all kinds of industries around the world that keep joining the team. Uh, and uh, and if, if you take a look at the career pages uh, on the Nell page, you see that there's uh, lots of uh, interesting positions uh, out there, so, so I definitely recommend you to, to take a look at that. We are not hiring in Saga Pure just yet, uh, but uh, <laughs> when we are, <laughs> you, you should check out that also. And and of course, uh, I also have to say that uh, I, I genuinely think that Nell has the most enthusiastic shareholders out there. I mean, we're talking true hydrogen believers and, and of course, having been uh, uh, responsible for investor relations in Nell. I, I, I do know that. Uh, and, and, and of course you, you uh, can attest to that also, Lila And, and, and I'd say if there are uh, any of you that are listening to this podcast or are, li- are shareholders, I'd like to, to say thanks for, for the support. And uh, Nell is, is surely conscious uh, that uh, you know, that the shareholders are in fact the owners of the company uh, so we are really, or Nella is really thankful for, 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 for that, uh, for the continued support that the shareholders have given the company.
1: Well, I mean, you can continue to say we because we'll always invite you back. And that actually leads me beautifully into my next question, because I was going to say tapping into your previous role. Nella's is listed on the Oslo Stock Exchange what challenges and benefits does being a stock listed company bring
2: yeah uh, you asked about the challenges the, one of the being a listed company is is uh, uh quite instrumental to uh, a company like now at least in the phase that now has been in uh, and the challenge one of the challenges of being a listed company is of course that you have to handle mm-hmm. Uh, the information uh, about pretty much anything extremely uh, uh, carefully. I mean, you have to basically handle it like a newborn baby child uh, and uh, make sure that you have uh, an open, direct and, and honest uh, communication out uh, to the market. And uh, uh, one of the big benefits is, of course, that uh, in the industry that now is today, where there is a uh, quite a bit more spending of capital before the the, the, the river uh, turns and and you you earn. Obviously, uh, you need a lot of capital to to make the necessary growth steps, to to make the necessary new hires, necessary investments in the technology, in in scaling up manufacturing facilities, all of that stuff. And being a listed company means that everyone that thinks that the, the, the business uh, uh, case uh, and, and then the strategy that Nell or, or, or any other company has uh, can actually support them and, 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 and become an owner in that company and I think we've truly seen how uh, interested lots of, of individuals and also institutions out there are in this and they're they're seeing the same uh, as, as Nell is and, and, and basically cheering Nell and the other companies forward to, to uh, accomplish uh, that journey, that, that, that future that, that we see we can, we can uh, basically <laughs> engineer.
0: Well, as much as I love learning about Nell, um, I'm going to bring this back to Hydrogen for a moment. For, our, for the benefit of our listeners, uh, whether they're Nell shareholders, uh, hydrogen enthusiasts, or perhaps newbies to the industry, perhaps you could tell us why do you feel hydrogen is such a key part of the energy transition?
2: And because it's super abundant. I mean, you can produce hydrogen everywhere in the world, and you can do that with zero emissions from production to use. And uh, as uh, uh, we talked about earlier, I mean, it's the nature's own swiss army knife element both being an ingredient and being an energy carrier and it even gives us pure water when it's utilized so it can help to solve water issues also so uh, less stuff to start wars over uh, in in other words so I, I i think that hydrogen should get the peace price if you ask me
0: and, and what do you think is needed to break the traditional chicken and egg scenario that exists with hydrogen fueling and infrastructure
2: it uh, takes bold action and a whole lot of money. <laughs> so uh, it, it, it's, it's the first mover disadvantage that needs to be removed. Uh, and I think we can safely say that we see that is happening now. Country after country and, and, and region after region are, are, are prioritizing hydrogen prioritizing uh, the infrastructure that is needed to enable that transition i mean we have governments supporting uh, electricity infrastructure because it is good for society to have uh, electricity all over the place and i think governments are seeing that hydrogen uh, can also provide uh, massive benefits to society, both in terms of emission reductions, in terms of energy self-sufficiency, in terms of business creation, all that's good, basically. So, so I think the uh, actions needed to break the chicken and egg problem, uh, they are actually being taken now. So, so, so it's actually more companies uh, should, uh, should pick up on this and, and act.
1: So speaking of companies, for understandable reasons, we get asked quite a bit about Nikola Motors. Care to share any thoughts on the situation there?
2: Yeah, I mean, Nikola Motors is, is uh, surely one of those companies uh, that uh, um, have taken a pioneering role. And uh, uh, taking a pioneering role means yeah, that you're at the frontier, which uh, means that sometimes uh, you stumble. I think we have seen that with Nicola, it was a, uh, let's call it a, b- <laughs> a bump in the road uh, earlier this fall. They had to rethink uh, a little bit their business plan, uh, their focus. But the fact of the matter is, I mean, they have a, they have a functioning uh, um, fuel cell electric class 8 truck. Uh, and they have a partnership with the best in class uh, companies uh, at the various different disciplines that they need to have in place to succeed. And uh, if things don't end up as you think when you start out, uh, that doesn't mean it, it uh, is necessarily a, a failure. So they have a head start on several different companies, they are leading the way, uh, showing that this is possible. So we've seen a lot of other companies uh, also joining in, developing their own hydrogen truck programs. And, uh, and, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, uh, that we'll see um, a lot uh, both uh, coming from, from, from Nikola and from all the other uh, companies out there that are seeing the same opportunities as they are. Uh, uh, over the coming uh, few, few years.
0: Well, uh, another company that I think we can agree is uh, a trailblazer and in many ways leading the way is, of course, Nell. Uh, that's why we're here, of course. Uh, as somebody on the other side of the fence, perhaps you could tell me, Bjorn, why does Nell refer to itself as number one by nature? What, what's meant by this? Well, well,
2: I was, I was part in, in, uh, in going for that uh, slogan. Uh, <laughs> and, of course, it means that Nell is ambitious. Nell uh, strives at being the number one at uh, what uh, Nell uh, does. It has a, a, a surely a, a leadership position uh, today and, and, and works at maintaining that. But of course, it also refers to hydrogen being the number one element in the periodic table. And of course, that hydrogen is a no-brainer given us to, to nature uh, itself. So. In that sense, quite, quite quite beautiful, really.
1: I know you uh, you took part in coining that phrase, but we're not letting you take uh, take it with you. We're we're holding on to that <laughs> okay. one, just so you know. <laughs> so we are running out of time. We could probably chat all day, but briefly, what are the key takeaways you'd like listeners to get from our chat today?
2: Well, I think uh, what's what's interesting uh, is is that that hydrogen is is a solution. Uh, you know, more than billion years in the making, and I find it endlessly fascinating that we're now at this specific point in time, or at a stage where we can harness the power of what universe basically has used as a preferred fuel and building block since the dawn of time. Um, and uh, uh, of course, I'm I'm proud having having been uh, with with Nell until recently. As a, as a technology leader, playing an important part in, in a, enabling uh, just that, both for the industry and the mobility. And, and of course, I also hope that in my new role, I can uh, contribute to, to, to making that a reality.
1: Well, thank you, Bjorn. That gives us, and I'm sure the listeners, a lot of food for thought today. Uh, we really appreciate that you joined us and we're looking forward to hearing more from Saga Pure and you, of course, in the times ahead. So thank you. Thank you. Rob, care to take the liberty of rounding off the chat today?
0: Sure. I, th- I think we've learned a lot there today from the journey that Nell has been on and how that mirrors much of the wider hydrogen industry over the same timeline to some of the inner workings or challenges at the heart of Nell today. There's obviously a few uh, hot potatoes in there along the way, like the whole... Uh, battery versus uh, hydrogen discussion but for me a really key point was around the Sherbo hydrogen station I'm glad we tackled that I know the incident drew a lot of attention at the time from the BEV community it was always going to of course but it's great to front that up and talk about the root cause and the learning since those conversations are going to be key to creating positive public perception of hydrogen safety and I have to say I remember that incident and I have to give full credit to Nell for an extremely diligent and smooth handling of it.
1: Well, thank you. And it's great to hear about it from Bjorn, who is not only really knowledgeable about the industry in general, but was of course a key member of the team when the incident happened. So he has good insight into that in particular.
0: You were a part of the communication team on that one as well, weren't you?
1: I sure was, and a fresh face at Nell at the time too, having only been there for a couple of months. Interesting time to be a brand manager, that's for sure.
0: (laughs) I bet it was. On a lighter note, of course, great to learn more about Bjorn's professor status too.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I think he handled the ribbing pretty well on that one, I must say.
0: He did indeed. Good thing we were mostly nice.
1: Mostly. Anyhow, we could probably ramble on for ages, but I suppose we probably better call it a day. So a big thank you to our audience for tuning in to this episode of Purple is the New Green. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to check out our website, nellhydrogen.com forward slash podcasts for more episodes as they're released. And you can also subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to tune in. As always, we're back next week with more Hydrogen Talk. Until then, thanks for listening.